0: September is a good month in the Allspaugh family. It really is, partly because oh, hunting season starts, and that's always a, a good thing. But it's also a good month in a, a, the life of our family. I've got to push the right button here. Solely because three birthdays get celebrated in our family during that month. Our daughter-in-law, our newest daughter-in-law, celebrated her birthday September 5th. She turned 9,125 days old. 9,125 days old. A little bit later in the month, our oldest son, Nick, celebrated his birthday. Are you ready for this? He turned 10,585 days old. And Tina celebrated a birthday in September as well. I don't want to give away her age. That would be rude of me. But she turned 19,710 days old. 19,710 days old. Doesn't that sound strange to you to hear numbers like that? Here they are again, 9,125 days old, 10,585 days old, 19,710 days old. We just don't think like that. When we start celebrating birthdays, we do it by the year. When we celebrate major events, anniversaries, we do it by the year. Sometimes if we shrink them way down, we'll celebrate by the month. When babies are first born, that's the way we describe age for them. It's by the month. But very quickly, usually after about the first two years, we start marking time by the year. It's a natural thing for us, or we mark time by seasons, but never by the day, or at least seldom by the day. I don't know why that is, because early on in History, In fact, right at the beginning of history, if you believe the way I do, the accuracy of the Bible, God measured time by days, seven days of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, He gave us the pattern of measuring time by days. There was morning, there was evening, on the first day, the Bible says. So from the very beginning of time, we were designed to measure it in 24-hour periods yet we don't. We speed it up as fast as we can. We start looking a lot further down the road or a lot further back than just day by day, at least most of us do. Moses, on the other hand, he, he had a different approach. Moses understood the way we are hardwired to measure time by the day. Leaves me wondering why Moses had insight like that, why it was that he could break with tradition and the patterns that everybody else lives by. May very well be, at least in my estimation, and this is just my own thought, it may very well be that he spent 40 years as a shepherd. Time doesn't move very fast when you're following sheep. When you're out in the, the wilderness walking behind that flock, it's day by day. And you have all kinds of time throughout every day. To think about it. If you were as a shepherd to think in terms of weeks, it'd be overwhelming. If you were to think in terms of months believing or knowing that you're going to do the same thing tomorrow that you did today for the next 30 days, it it could be daunting. And if you thought in terms of years, well, I just don't even know what that would lead you to. So Moses boiled things down. He lived by the day. And as a result of that, near the end of his days, He told us to do the same. In fact, he asked God to teach us to do the same. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's found in Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, right in the center of your Bible. Psalm 90, verse 12. Take a look at this. Man, this is insightful. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Again, this is a psalm of Moses. Most often we think David wrote the psalms, and he did. He wrote the bulk of them. Solomon penned a few of the psalms. Asaph wrote some of the psalms. And Moses is the author of a few. Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. Listen to what he says, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Some translations of the Bible say, "...so teach us to number our days aright, that we may get a heart of wisdom." Now, he's boiling that down to something that is really very tangible, very bite-sized. I love the fact that Moses doesn't say, "...teach us to number our years that we might gain a heart of wisdom." He doesn't say, "...teach us to number our weeks or our months." He is very specific teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, when we are willing to look at life that way, it will change our perspective on many things. But the perspective that Moses is addressing in this particular passage is quite intriguing. It's wisdom, the perspective of wisdom. Wisdom grows when we shrink our vision down. And begin to live one day at a time wisdom is an interesting thing not only in life but also in the bible it is oftentimes confused with knowledge and it shouldn't be there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge i like this definition of it and it actually does a beautiful job of showing us the difference take a look at this wisdom and knowledge both recurring themes in the bible are related but not synonymous. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered it's pretty good definition it really is and as you look at the difference between the two you can begin to see why it is that Moses would call this out why he would say shrink your vision that you might gain wisdom it's better than knowledge wisdom is man, it is something you can use and something you will need so slow yourself down that you might gain it. And I love the fact that he says it exists in our hearts, not necessarily in our heads. Wisdom is a heart issue. I love that. I love that. And I believe God does too. That's why this prayer that Moses would offer on behalf of the Israelite people and, by extension, all of God's people It's one that he would offer to the Lord because God knows the value of wisdom. And when his people desire it, when they seek it, and they gain it, God is right there applauding, saying, all right, all right, you're going after the things that matter the most. This morning, I want to show you two people that sought wisdom. Right out of Scripture, two people that sought wisdom. And I want to show you how they did it and what they did with it. So we're going to move pretty fast over this next part of the message. So fast that I want to just start out by saying that a lot of what I'm going to share with you is a combination of some insights from a wonderful preacher named Gordon McDonald and myself. And so the two are kind of interwoven. When I know for sure that it is something that Gordon said, I want to call that out to you. But if I'm not positive that it was his versus mine, I won't stop and, and really bring that to your attention. But I want to make sure that he gets the credit where credit is due for the heavy lifting that he did in the middle of this message. So this is a combination of Phil Allspaugh and Gordon MacDonald as we make our way on through this. I want to show you this first person and I'm going to take you to a place that you may not expect. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. These are familiar words to most of us sitting in this room, or at least I hope they are. You'll recognize them right away as we start reading. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's not my intention to preach a... Christmas message this morning. That time is coming soon enough. But I want to call a couple of things out to you from this passage, things that you are very familiar with. Let's start with the shepherds. The shepherds received a message from the Lord. It was delivered to them by angels, fascinating part of the Christmas story, and they responded to that message as soon as they heard it. They made their way to Bethlehem. They found the one they were looking for. Spectacular, miraculous part of the story. And as soon as they had seen Jesus and reported everything that they had heard to Mary and Joseph, the Bible would tell us that they promptly left and they told everyone what had just happened. They went out of there as fast as they could. And they told everybody, everybody that they came in contact with about the angels, about Jesus lying in the manger, about the details of the message that were given to them and the details that they saw when they got to Bethlehem. Amazing part of the story. Absolutely amazing part of the story. But there is a quick shift from the shepherd's response to Mary's response. Did you catch it? While the shepherds were out preaching... Doing what we're all called to do. Go tell people about what you have seen and what you have experienced when you have seen and experienced the Lord. They were doing exactly what the Great Commission would teach us to do. They were going into all the world, or at least as far as they could go, and they were telling people. But Mary was doing something else. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What an interesting response. The shepherds, the shepherds were out preaching while Mary was pondering. Now, why the difference? Gordon MacDonald calls this out, and he's very insightful in it. He says, after this, we never hear about these shepherds again. You ever thought about that? Throughout the rest of the New Testament, we never hear about these shepherds again. Throughout the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we never hear about the shepherds again. Church history and church tradition tells us nothing about these shepherds. This excitement and this zeal that they had to preach may very well have continued on. It it may very well have been so deeply rooted within them that they continued to preach and to share their experience with everyone they came in contact with. It's just that they were shepherds and they didn't come in contact with many people. So there wasn't an opportunity for tradition and history to record that much. But the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, church history and church tradition records what Mary does with these moments. When she pondered them up in her heart, she turned it into wisdom. And it was wisdom that she was going to need. In fact, she was going to need wisdom very quickly because not long after the shepherds left telling their story, Herod, at least Herod's minions, we're going to descend on Bethlehem passionately, looking to destroy her son, looking to kill him. Joseph and Mary were going to need great wisdom. Mary was pondering all these things in her heart. Every moment, everything that was happening, she was pondering it, treasuring it, yes, but pondering it deep within her heart. Gordon would say, she was ringing them out. Now, take a look at this. She was wringing out wisdom from every experience because she would need it, because God wanted her to have it. She was wringing it out. I really love the way he says this and have great appreciation for even the way he describes it. McDonald would say that when he travels, he often finds himself in a situation where he has to do laundry in his hotel rooms. So those of you that have done this know exactly the way it works. You wash out your clothes in the bathtub or in the sink, and then you wring them out by hand. You squeeze them as tight as you can. You roll them together to get every drop of water out of it. And then you hang them however you possibly can. You hang them over the bathtub and then probably have to come back and wring it a little bit more to get the rest of the water out. Well, that's how he describes what Mary is doing in Luke chapter 2. She is wringing out all of the wisdom from the experiences that she had with her son. All of the experiences that she had even prior to his birth. But after that, she would be right there watching as he grows up. Watching when he was arrested. She was there at the foot of the cross when he was crucified. She was a single mother according to tradition and history. Sometime after the age of 12, for Jesus, Joseph disappears. We don't know where he goes. But by all appearances, Mary was left to raise Jesus and his brothers and his sisters on her own. She was going to need all the wisdom she could find. And she found it by wringing out every situation. We can only do that when we think in terms of days. We can only do that when we are learning to number our days aright. You gain a heart of wisdom for things like that by taking every experience and wringing out of it all that you can, gaining from it everything you will need, pondering it and treasuring it up, choosing to never forget it. That's what Moses was talking about. He wanted the children of Israel to remember everything that God had done for them while they were in the wilderness. He wanted them to remember his power, his providence, his sovereignty. He wanted them to remember all the experiences that they had had with God. So he's saying, teach us to number our days. Let us think small so that we never forget. Let us wring out every bit of wisdom, every drop of wisdom that we never forget. Moses was asking that for the Israelites. Mary was showing us how to do it with Jesus. question we face for ourselves, and it's an individual question, is how are you wringing out wisdom from your experiences with the Lord? How are you pondering them and treasuring them up in your heart so that when you need them, they will be there? You only do that by looking at each day and ringing out as much as you possibly can. Now, there's the first person. I want to take you to the Old Testament and show you a person that is most often associated with wisdom in the Bible. There are two biblical writers of wisdom. In the New Testament, it is most often James that people consider the writer of wisdom. In the Old Testament, it's Solomon. Solomon is most often associated with wisdom. He is the writer of wisdom. As you get into the Proverbs, you find wisdom over and over and over again, sound bites of wisdom that if we will allow them to govern our lives, keep us out of a lot of trouble. They'll keep us on the right path. Solomon is the writer of wisdom, and he came by his wisdom supernaturally. Let me show it to you. We're going to leave the New Testament and go to the Old. Let's go to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 3. Now we're going to start in verse 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the kings went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude." Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have, a- have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also all that you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Now, you have to love everything that we just read. Solomon has God come to him in a dream. He can ask for anything. God just left it wide open. He could ask for anything. And Solomon, even though he was young when he found himself in this situation, he chose to ask for the greatest thing he possibly could as a leader of God's people. He asked for wisdom. And you followed all the way through the rest of that account. God granted it to him, and he said, you could have asked for this, 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 and this. You didn't, but I'll give those to you anyway. So God poured all this out on Solomon. When Solomon woke up, he recognized it was a dream, but did you catch what he did? He wrung it out. He wrung it out. And he went and worshipped the Lord. Watch what happens next. Verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had borne. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, this is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death." But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. By the way, as you read on through the Old Testament, you will find out that it was not just the people of Israel that thought that of Solomon. It was a people from all the surrounding countries. Once they heard about what he had done here and the other acts of wisdom that flowed from him, they came from distant lands just to be in the presence of Solomon, to ask him questions and to get guidance from him. It's a remarkable story. Under Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel experienced a time of great peace. They were reconciled with a bunch of foreign lands and foreign kings. David was a warrior. Solomon was a, he was a peacemaker. And he made peace through the wisdom of God. People wanted to see it. They wanted to hear of it. They wanted to experience that wisdom for themselves. So you would think as Solomon was wringing out all of the wisdom from this gift from God that he possibly could, wringing out practical applications for the people that would come before him, that he would never do anything to mess that up. He was the wisest man to ever live. God said there was never one like him before him, and there will never be one as wise as him after You would believe, I would believe, Solomon would never, ever do anything to compromise that. He was too wise. The truth of the story, though, is this. He did compromise it. He did compromise it. In at least three ways. In at least three. If you'll join me in 1 Kings chapter 10, I'll show them to you. 1 Kings chapter 10. starting in verse 23. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his mind. Isn't that amazing? Every one of them brought him presents, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shepla And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150, And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away from your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Three different turns. Three different aspects of Solomon's life that defined him, that got him into trouble, that actually caused God to say, I'm going to lift my blessing from you and from your people. Wisest man to ever live still couldn't avoid these traps. Here they are for you. They're just laid out. His problems, threefold problems, the pursuit of money, power, and sex. Money is easy to see. It is represented in his pursuit of silver and gold. And people were bringing this to him, but look what he did with it. He used it as a means of establishing his own reputation. Wealthiest man to ever live when he could have just stood on the wisest man to ever live. Power is demonstrated in his accumulation of horses and mules. And sex, of course, is demonstrated through 700 wives and 300 concubines. The wisest man to ever live had a thousand wives. I'm just going to leave that with a giant hmm. We'll just leave that alone right there. Now, you might say, why are those three things a problem? If Solomon was given this wisdom from God and it is supernatural, why is it a problem? Well, the answer is quite simple, and it's found in the Bible. If you want to keep your finger there in 1 Kings, but turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 17 with me, you'll see it. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire, listen to this, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now there it is, laid out by God. The heading in my Bible says, Laws Concerning Israel's King. So God said the time's going to come when you're going to seek a king and here are the three guidelines that I want you to make sure that they never fall into. Three traps that they avoid. You make sure that they avoid the trap of money, You make sure they avoid the trap of power, and you make sure they avoid the trap of sex. You make sure that they're not given to those things. And he would go on, in essence, to say to the person that might sit on that throne, you avoid those three things. Today, he would say the same things to us. Wisdom says avoid these traps. Money, power, and sex. Avoid those three traps, because they are the death of wisdom. They are the death of of wisdom. And that was Solomon's problem. Actually, all three of his problems. A lot of times when we think about Solomon's downfall, we attach it solely to the fact that he had a thousand wives. And the reason we do that is because just the thought of a thousand wives blows our mind. What in the world was he thinking, wisest man to ever live? And so we never look at the other two things. He was also chasing money and power and it got him in trouble. It got him in trouble. Same way that it gets us in trouble, and the same way that it compromises wisdom. When those three things begin to drive us, wisdom gets pushed to the back burner because we start living solely for ourselves. We stop measuring our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. We stop wringing wisdom out of our days. We stop treasuring up and pondering in our hearts what God is doing that we might become a better person day after day. And we live selfishly, driven by money, power, and sex. Those three things stand in the way of wisdom all the time. All the time. And it just causes God to go don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it but when we will shrink our vision down and we will gain a heart of wisdom through numbering our days aright god says even when you make a mistake you can get past it If you will shrink your vision down, stop living selfishly and number your days aright that you might gain a heart of wisdom and you live for me. Even when you make a mistake, listen. Even when you make a mistake, listen. Even when you make a mistake, God gives a natural reset to help you push past it. If you will live by the day. If you enlarge how you mark time, you will miss it. But if you will shrink it down and number your days, living by the day, you can live under the natural reset. You want to know what it is? sleep. It is sleep. I want to take you to the book of Lamentations. I'll show you a passage of Scripture that we sing about and we talk about, but we seldom pay close attention to. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The old prophet Jeremiah writes these words. Lamentations 3, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's the great reset gift of God that helps us in our pursuit of wisdom. Make a mistake, mess up one day, You have the privilege of going to bed at night knowing that that mistake happened but knowing that tomorrow is a new day. It is a fresh day and God's mercy is poured out on you so that you can start that new day, that brand new day, on a new path, the path of wisdom. What I did yesterday I know was wrong. I won't do it again today. Sleep is the great reset of God that unleashes the mercy of God. Isn't that cool? Just laying your head on the pillow at night and saying, Lord, today today there were some problems. Tomorrow I don't want to live those same problems. That's what it means to number your days aright and gain a heart of wisdom. So when you wake up in the morning and your pillow is left there as your head comes off of it, you're able to say, today, today it will be victorious. That's mercy. It's given to us daily and that's why wisdom follows. I want you to know this. Like Solomon, if we fall into a trap and we stop numbering our days, we stop measuring time by the day and we start looking back and recognize that a pattern of sin has risen to the top in our life and it's a pattern that's now governing us. It's a pattern that that we want to get out of and we know we have to get out of, but God's mercy just being poured out on us while we sleep isn't going to be enough, God gives us another reset. Want to know what it is? It's called repentance. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8. The Apostle John starts out just so pointedly. I like the way he does this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's true of all of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul teaches that in the book of Romans. John's just making it a whole lot more practical. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we talk about confessing our sins, it's not simply a matter of acknowledging it, just saying that I have sinned. It's a matter of saying I have sinned and I don't want to sin anymore. I want to break the pattern. Repentance is turning around and walking the other way. I'm not going to stay on the same path I'm on anymore. I'm going to turn around and walk the other way. And here's the cool part about repentance as a reset. The Bible promises us that when we do that, God is faithful, remember, His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. He is faithful, and He will forgive us of all sin, all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's the great reset. You want to break a pattern of sin? It's found. It's found in repentance. The physical act of repentance, the spiritual act of repentance. You turn around and walk the other way. Wisdom says do that. But you will only do that when you begin to measure your life in days and you recognize the impact that the lack of wisdom has on you and everyone around you so now we can look at Mary and we can see what it means to wring out wisdom from everything that we do and we can look at Solomon and we can see what it means to ask God for wisdom and receive it from him but we can also see the traps that come with it and so now we know how to avoid those. And it leaves us with this question. How do we truly seek it today? Because if God doesn't come to us in a dream the way he did Solomon, or the angel Gabriel doesn't come speak to us so that we have a foundation to build off of, then how do we pursue wisdom? Really happy you asked. I am. And so, allow myself and Gordon McDonald to help you out. These first two things come from him, and then I'll follow it up. Number one, here you go. When you are in the presence of people that know more than you do, ask questions. That's one of the keys to finding wisdom. When you are in the presence of people that know more than you do, ask questions. I was taught to do that when I was very young, and I am so glad that I was. So whenever I have faced something new, something that I've been really interested in and intrigued by, I've never been afraid to ask questions questions. I can tell you all kinds of different ways that that applies. When I started riding horses, I knew that I didn't know much, and so I needed to spend time with people that knew a lot more than I did. And so I wanted to ask questions, and I did and I do all the time. I surround myself with people like Jeff Grotejohn and John Basham and Larry Lampton, people that have a lot more experience than I do with stock, and I ask questions because that's the only way that I'm going to learn. When I started training hunting dogs for the first time, I didn't know anything at all. We had had two other dogs before we got our first hunting dog, and both of them were unruly and misbehaved. I knew, had no idea how to train a dog. So I spent time around people that knew how to train hunting dogs. I knew how, or spent time with people that knew how to bring the best out of them. I got with people like Richard Kendall, and I just started asking questions. As many as I could, hey, help me understand this. I read everything that I could possibly read and I found trainers that were on a path that I wanted to be on and I asked questions. When I started in ministry, I did the exact same thing, surrounded myself with people that knew a lot more than I did and I asked questions. In marriage, Tina and I were very purposeful to ask questions of people that had been married a long time and we still do. We seek wisdom from those that have gone before us. You want wisdom? You surround yourself with people that know more than you do. And don't you be afraid of asking questions. You ask everything you can and soak it up like a sponge. It's where wisdom comes from. Number two, when you're in the presence of... I'm sorry, that's number one. Number two, remember to look a long way down the trail. Now, that sounds contradictory to what we're talking about. It is not. Wisdom looks three or four steps ahead while you are numbering the experience of every day. While you are measuring what is happening in your life today, you are still stretching your vision three or four steps down the trail. Much like a chess player has to do, they have to think if they're going to be successful three or four, five moves ahead of every move they make. You have to look at the ripple effects, the consequences of the decisions that you make. So it is necessary in wisdom to look down the trail. When you're making decisions, when you are deciding what to do, certainly you are asking the Lord for direction, but if you want to back up and remove yourself from the equation so that you can see what God has to say, then look out four steps before you make the decision. Wisdom looks down the trail, so look down the trail. Now those two come from Gordon MacDonald, and I really appreciate what he had to say. Let me add to what he puts out there, number three. Dig deep in your relationship with God. Dig deep. If you want wisdom, dig deep. The Lord will speak. The Lord will guide. He has given you the gift of His Spirit that lives within you. Trust the Spirit of God. Trust the Lord. So you get into His Word and you get into prayer and you trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't just mean That you hear the guidance of the Spirit and then decide whether you're going to believe it or not, it means you trust the Spirit. Here's some passages of Scripture that drive that home. This is found in the book of Proverbs. Solomon writes it, chapter 3. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. I'm sorry, I said Proverbs 3. That's chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Solomon lays it out pretty plain. You dig deep in your relationship with God, and wisdom will flow from it. Still in the book of Proverbs, take a look. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Chapter 3, verse 13. There's a blessing from God that is poured out on those who seek wisdom. So seek it. And now, in the New Testament, James, writer of wisdom in the New Testament, James would say this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When you ask God for wisdom, you ask with great belief, and don't you doubt that God will give it. But when it comes, you follow it. Because to not puts you in this category that you don't want to be in, a double-minded category, unstable in all your ways. And I would offer to you that the minute you get unstable, you start making bad choices, bad decisions. Wisdom is thrown out. So stand on solid ground in the Lord, seeking wisdom from Him. And know this, that when you seek it, God's already smiling. And when you live it, God is there applauding. Because he applauds wisdom in his children. He's your biggest fan. and He wants you to have wisdom to govern your steps. So seek it and listen to him applaud. I'll leave you with just one more thought. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, once again, is the author of this. In fact, Raina, if you want to lead the worship team up here, I'm I'm just about done. Listen to what he says. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about his life. It's like reading his journal. He talks about his pursuit of money and power and sex. And he says all of it was vanity. All of it was a mistake. He wishes he hadn't done that. And I love the way he finishes his journal. He says very simply in chapter 12, verse 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every, every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. When he boils it all down, the wisest man to ever live would say this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. If we're going to surround ourselves with people that know more than we do and we're going to pay attention to what they have to say, then why don't we listen to Solomon? The end of the matter is really simple. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's it. That's where wisdom begins and ends. It's pretty cool when you see it that way. That's where it begins and ends. In between is just a whole bunch of decisions in life that we do, but we live it day by day. And if we will live it small day by day, understanding the reset of mercy in those moments where we make mistakes and even understanding the reset of repentance when we develop a pattern that we don't like because we stopped living in 24-hour increments so that we would avoid those patterns. God's there to help us with the mistakes as he guides us deeper and deeper and deeper into his wisdom. And my friends, there's nothing better. There is nothing better. But remember this. It all begins and ends in fearing God and keeping his commandments. And if you don't have that relationship with God, you will not have wisdom from above. It has to begin in that relationship. And I love the fact, you you get to hear me say this all the time, I love the fact that God made it possible through his son, Jesus, that we can have relationship with him. If you don't have that, talk to somebody today, because I'm telling you, your life will never be the same And it will be dramatically, markedly better because of Jesus today and forever. So talk to somebody today about that. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for wisdom. In many ways, I think godly wisdom begins in understanding our need for you. Oh, there's knowledge that leads us to that, but it's wisdom that convicts us. It's wisdom that helps us realize that the wages of our sin is death. But your gift to us is eternal life through your Son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Pray for those that need relationship with you. I pray today will be the day of salvation. Pray as well for those that need relationship with the church. I pray today will be that day. And for those that need freedom, I pray that will be today. For those that need peace, I'm asking, Lord, that they find it today. Those that are seeking comfort, I pray that they find it today in you. Those that are are seeking healing, I pray they will find it in you. Both physical and spiritual, I pray they'll find it in you. Lord, those that are seeking wisdom, I pray they find it in you. I ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.